and gentlemen, Squinners fans with the giant appetite for 2009 flag glory. Things have only got more glorious with what none of us saw this morning here in London. The Giants have got up by two points over the brave but valiant fighting hard the boys went down Sydney Swans. Uh, I am Needles, your Squinners host, and I have travelled 16,400 and something kilometres because none of the other Squinners were available unfortunately to do the pod with me this weekend except one man one man was ready to go he put his hand up unfortunately he wasn't able to come over on the internet so i've flown over we're here at the good samaritan it's saturday night at the good samaritans in east london it's at the corner of turner street and stepney way the man the the man i'm here he needs no introduction (laughs) now michael ladies and gentlemen (laughs) it is now michael Three in a row. Three in a row. Just like the Aussies will be when we get to bloody Trent Bridge. <laughs> there you go. He's um, been at the Ashes for a while, so this is going to be most of what we're going to be talking about. And also, we've got another special comments, man. We had C. Trizzle from the uh, Geelong Cats fan club. He was with our other live podcast, actually, at Henson Park. But now we've got the Doc. He's from the Squinners' sister podcast, The Inside Men. Uh, he is chief of the Brisbane Lions London fan club and he's here to give us some insights on what it's like to watch the Giants from a Brisbane Lions supporting perspective which I think will be very valuable and entirely useful. Doc, say hello to all our more than 500 listeners. Well it's fantastic to, uh, to be here and uh, good to talk about the resurgent Brisbane Lions in between some, uh, some GWS chat as well. So important squid of chat. Could I clarify something please Needs? Uh, are you any, do, you, do you have any former relationship with this, uh, this Doc character? Not as far as I'm aware, but he's really <laughs> handsome. And we drank an inordinate amount of beer yesterday evening through some of the um, older uh, pubs in London with an average age of 450 years over sort of eight or nine pubs. And so that was excellent. And we're all feeling great, which is one of the reasons, I have to admit, when the game was going to be telecast live at 5 a.m. this morning, I didn't, didn't get there. I had great plans and I have watched the highlights and done all the reading though. So I think that'll set us in good stead uh, for the analysis which is is to come. But before we get to that, we're gonna talk about issues of the week, right? So first quarter, obviously there's only one issue that's been on everyone's mind here in London this time about the Giants and it's why wasn't Alex Carey picked in the Australian Ashes cricket team, which is a silky segue into the Ashes. And we have a man on the ground there, Mal Michael went to the Ashes at Edgebaston, he was there for Wednesday, just for Thursday. Just for the first, just for the first day's play. Yeah. Give us your thoughts. I mean, it was it was Stephen Smith against the world. Redemption. Uh, well, immediately, just to address the matter of Alex Carey, when you're already playing three wicket keepers, I don't think you need a fourth. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he'll get his. He'll, be, he'll get his moment. You have to be left out. You feel left out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it mean, Fortress Edgebaston. They want to the Poms, mate. They want to get on board. You know. Like Australia's record that we've got at the Gabatoire, they want to call it Fortress Edgbaston. Yeah. When you can only fit twenty thousand people in the ground, how intimidating can it really be? Is what I'd ask you. And Not Stephen Smith, 15. by the late afternoon sunshine in Birmingham, was treating Stuart Broad, the second greatest wicket taker ever, from England bowling perspective. He was treating him with absolute disdain, and uh, yeah, it was a triumphal moment for Steve Smith. Welcome back. And I mean, who hasn't, you know? rubbed some sandpaper into a ball to try and reduce them in reverse swing once or twice in their lives. Well, I could agree with more of that summary, absolutely. I think, as you said, 
if Matt Wade's getting in there for uh, for his, his batting ability purely, then Alex Carey's got to be the next one, next caliber rank. He has to be. He'll, Alex will get his go. He's a good athlete. I mean, he came through the, the Giants system, so obviously he's a legend of a bloke and a well-prepared athlete. So, he, you know, he'll get his moment. Um, just as soon as Matt Wade makes another couple of ducks in a row, um, I imagine Alex Carey will be the next man in. Uh, do you think he'll take the gloves? Would Alex Carey take the gloves or would he be there purely for his batting? I think you've got to give Timmy Payne at least till the end of this year. Well, if it wasn't for his bat, if it wasn't for his wicket keeper, he wouldn't be in the team, really, would he? Let's face it. Not the world's greatest bat, although it does have the second highest average after Gilchrist for a wicketkeeper. I think uh, Tim Payne's safe to see out the year. You were there though, give us an idea of the vibe. Like, I mean, it was early doors, Australia were down for a lot of, you know, we were in trouble. Um, and Smith dragged us out. We went from trouble to respectability. But what was the vibe? Was there. Was, was there a bit of niggle? A bit of niggle? Was there niggle? Was there niggle? Far more chat than reality. That's what I'd say about the Poms, mate. They want to talk a big game, but they don't really deliver a big game. Um, yeah, so certainly. It I don't know if like that doesn't remind me of anyone at this table. <laughs> This is the Doc's first show, mate. <laughs> can you say can you say the Australian cricket team is ever really in trouble when C. Smith's still out in the centre? Uh, if if the man is out there, are we ever really in trouble? It harks back to the glory days of uh, AR Border, mate. If Smith's in, Australia are okay, yeah, same as it was in Border's day. But yeah, the uh, the crowd they did try and get stuck in. I think. Um, the performance we've seen from Davey Warner and Cameron Bancroft, maybe they got to, to those guys. But really, it was um, a very, for all the talk, for all that they'd amped up how intimidating the atmosphere was going to be at Edgbaston, the crowd was very generous to Australian supporters, from my own personal experience, lovely people out there. Um, and I don't see why anyone would have been perturbed by the reception they got. Um, they just it, the bark was far worse than the bite. On the uh, on the David Warner Steve Smith Bancroft issue, were you surprised? Given I thought Smith had a bit of a lacklustre World Cup, I think I think Dave Warner was probably far better performer than him over that World Cup period, uh, and was probably playing a bit less aggressive cricket than we've seen him play before. Were you surprised that Warner's not really fired this test and Steve Smith's come back with absolute you know uh, with, a, with, a, with a dead eye and he's hitting them all over the park? I'm a bit surprised by that personally. Not really. Steve Smith didn't have a bad World Cup. I, I, I completely agree with you that David Warner had a better World Cup. Uh, but Steve Smith didn't have a bad one. It's also tougher to bat at number four in one day internationals. Coming in under a bit of pressure, some wickets lost and going to have to accelerate the rate, whereas you can come and play at your own pace in test matches. So number four is probably an easier spot in test matches than it is in um, one day internationals. And also, um, perhaps given Steve Smith's unconventional technique... Uh, the out-and-out pace of Mark Wood and Jofra Archer poses more of a threat than the uh, slow mediums of James Nerdless. Anderson. <laughs> Chris the Nerdlers. Exactly. Uh, and also, I just think that Stephen Smith doesn't particularly like Stuart Broad. I mean, what self-respecting Australian does. Absolutely. A, a, fine point, a fine point well made, I suppose. That pie chucker needs to go, mate. <laughs> <laughs> to the boundary. And have. <laughs> That's the ashes. Thanks very much, Crackbox and Buried. Um, we'll wait for the next two days. I just actually, I had two things that I wanted to um, 
One was the docker had mentioned it to me about a few weeks ago when the Brisbane bandwagon was just beginning to roll at a steady pace. I think it was just after they they dusted um, the Giants at home at the Beanstalk. You mentioned something about there wasn't... You were surprised at how few people in London were jumping on the Lions. <laughs> surprised and disappointed, I think, would have yeah. to be. The, you know, especially a young, up-and-coming team, a Lazarus-like resurrection back the glory days of the early 2000s. Plenty of excitement. Uh, very good under-23 contingent there. You know, And I was surprised that it wasn't playing on every pub screen uh, in and around the Greater London area, personally. The question, though, that it raises, and also a lot of the results from what happened over the weekend, there were some mild upsets. Is the equalisation strategy beginning to bear fruit? So you've got the top three of the top five, four of the top five teams are on 52 points with Geelong on 56. Every other week... And faltering, and faltering. Yeah, every, and coming back to the pack very quickly. Every other week, though, you read a story about, you know, apparently Frio's finals chances are now back on, are back on motion. Hawthorns are out. Last week it was the other way round. Teams only need one win and they're suddenly they're back within a hunt. And it's down to 14 where teams are realistically within an op- a chance of winning, getting making the eight. Like, is the equalisation working? If so, is it good? I mean, I think uh, saying the 14 teams are in the hunt is probably a very... Uh, for finals, not for premierships. No, absolutely, but, also but, but very win. complimentary for them. I think there's six teams who are generally in the hunt yep. and then there's literally 12 teams who are absolute pish who depending on what they bring at the day whether it's St Kilda or Port Adelaide who you know obviously rolled Essendon going away today I think there's a lot of inconsistency in the, in the, in the team at the moment I think that's the main interesting fact that we're seeing in uh, in the premiership but I don't know if it's if it's working but certainly I think there's a lot of uh, up for air well a lot's up in the air certainly in the lower the lower part of the table I'd suggest that um, the elite training um, and the professionalism of the AFL these days means that you know every player that takes their position on the field week in, week out for any senior side has a lot of pride and is very well drilled and very well conditioned. And you know, they, any side can beat any other side. The if McGovern's a, a side, bit off. obviously, in that, <laughs> in that context. Luke McGovern was an elite player last year. He just happened to go to Carlton. Um, Mitch. Mitch McGovern. Mitch. I can edit that. <laughs> Sorry, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> Good mate of mine. Um, uh, no, but I just think that the professionalism of sport, and particularly the AFL now, uh, means that your core group of players, your, your bottom eight, which is often what they say you know, where the real difference in sides lies, I think that that has been compressed, and that's why we see a closer ladder these days. And it is terrific for the game. I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to have a two-point victory over the Swans. I want to belt them by 400 if we can. But it actually behooves the game to have those close ones still late in the season. I mean, the Swans basically don't have anything to play for. And they're still running us, most likely Premiers this year. Uh, They're still running us close. That's good. That's good for the game. It was good. Um, This is the final thing, actually. This is the very, very final thing. And I lobbed it. I mentioned it to the doc that I was thinking of raising it. And he got very... Shirty. Brusque, shirty, terse uh, with the issue, Snippy. and it was a little bit. It was back just after the Essendon um, steal of the Giants, and the the somewhat of the controversy of was the kick by Corey McKernan touched or not by Adam Kennedy. And I read an interesting article that someone suggested that in no other game, if it's touched, does it matter. In soccer, if it's touched and it goes through, it's a goal. Um, if if it's touched. 
Otherwise, if it crosses the line off a foot, off a foot, (laughs) it's effectively a goal. And he said, if you got rid of the if you got rid of the touch rule, it would encourage people to push the ball back in if they were defenders, and it would be certainly much easier, particularly because the as we can tell, it's very very difficult for the the third camera, the the third umpire, to pick that up with the vision. Do get rid of the touch rule. The doc had some. Stern responses. Mal can think about his. He's got a. Yeah. Oh, Mal's already got his. He's got a. He's got a skeptical look on, but we'll see. No, I mean that's just it's it's. I mean, firstly, comparing AFL to any other sport and saying it's not any other sport is just a ridiculous concept. The the, the, the beautiful nuances that are make AFL great as a sport lie within the fact that it's different from most other sports. We have behind posts, no one else does. You know, we have a lot of other rules. Yeah, point for missing. Very Australian. It's very egalitarian. It's what we love. The other thing that's a completely ungovernable rule. Um, when does it touch become, uh, you know, if it goes to a goal, if it does it be touched by the other team as a goal, if it's touched by your team as a goal, if you've kicked it towards your goal and it's going to a, uh, towards a behind and one of your team taps it with their hand uh, so it goes through the goals, does, does that count as a goal? If the other team doesn't count as a goal? So I think it just raises far more questions than, uh, and it's an almost ungovernable rule. So I don't quite see what benefits it would bring um, and I think it would... It certainly add much more complexity uh, to the game that's just unnecessary. And I think the fans don't really... I think the game's great. I think the product is good. I think unnecessary tinkering is uh, present. Obviously, people need to feel they need to contribute something, but I just don't think this is something that needs to be addressed. No, stop fucking with the rules. The, the interests of the game lie in the, in the grey kind of borderline areas, and, you, and even if you have a more... Uh, specific kind of way of dealing with things like a third umpire it, it's, it still you know adds a very little complexity the allure of sport is in its unpredictability but having said that I don't think we should go the full ICC where they tried to introduce this Joel Wilson umpiring with his eyes closed <laughs> in the ashes this week <laughs> I think that might be too far explain that a bit well I mean, just go, the more you push into the grey the more grey you find is basically uh, but just provide some context we'll go back to the ashes there were questionable decisions so on the first day at the Ashes, I think there was seven dismissals, given or not given, that were erroneous. And I mean, sevens, seven decisions. Seven decisions that are in, seven, in, seven wickets. Seem to be incorrect. But yeah. seven wickets, and yeah. yeah, that's vitally important to the context of the Test match. And unfortunately, most of them, those errors were made by umpire Joel Wilson. Um, you know, Blind he, he just Joel. he just had a bad day. <laughs> um, we'll move to the yes. second quarter, which is. The review of the game that none of us watched. Giants get up two points, so we've won two games now by three combined points. It was an, a dirty win. Uh, as Coco said on the thread, Stormy Daniels is more reliable than clockwork. Uh, came through. few good players. Toby Green was excellent. Isaac Heaney for the Swans kicked three goals. It was dynamic. Jeremy, the dorsal. Finlayson got a few important touches. And the plough, Jacob Hopper, uh, stepped up. Three three important goals, a lot of tackles and many possessions. It was, I mean, and also Zach Williams was outstanding. And certainly in the highlights, I saw Harry Himmelberg play some important roles. That is a really, really important win. As I mentioned previously, it now makes West Coast, uh, Richmond, Brisbane, and the Giants are all on 52 points of those four t- Four teams. The Giants have by far the easiest last three games. There is, I'm sure, there is some way that it works out that 
is a result that the Giants, if they win the rest of the three games, can finish second. But this was, an, this was a win that we thought we should get. The Swans are only 15th. Got up, got it done, got it done dirty. Not sure what the crowd size was. Dunsey was there and he's given us a few reports, which I'll put into the, the pod later. Expert commentary from Nathaniel. What are we going to do to um, win? Kick a hard. Harder. Really hard. Really Mega hard. hard. And tackle or not? And tackle. Yes. And wake up. And wake up. Good. Very, very important. I mean, I think they're funny that, you know, the Swans obviously have had a terrible season, but this is coming on the back of a, a season that's the one being blighted by the fact that Buddy has just not been there. Is he still playing? Is he alive? Is he is he off in Tahiti somewhere? I don't think we know. I think that's obviously a big hole. Um, McVeigh's not played a, a great deal of football in some of the other old stages like Jack hasn't been around. But I think you can't really ever write them off. They do play an aggressive brand of football. They play very hard football. So unless you kind of really... Uh, very Luke Parker football. Very Luke Parker football. So I don't think you've ever got it in the bag against the Swans, certainly when you're kind of drawing the crosstown rivalry. So I think from that perspective, it's a very important win uh, for GWS. It's an important plank. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, also, just, it's never a good sign, a bit of a disrupted sort of end to the year in terms of personnel. Still missing some of our, you know, finest players in, you know, Josh Kelly to come back. And Jesse Cameron, Jesse, Jesse Cameron yeah, managed exactly. out. Do we know what was wrong? Uh, I'm not sure what we, was Jesse. I think it, it is literally just being managed. Um, but, you know, He's a massive out. A bloke like Josh Kelly is massive out as well. Those guys come back in and it really raises the overall standard of things. I think you don't want to drop a game like this and I'm very glad we haven't dropped a game like this. Um, and we're close. Reed, Sam Reed had the mark that I uh, believe yourself and the doc thought was a mark. Look, if it had been Jez in the grand final, that's a mark every day of the week. <laughs> well said. Because it was well Sam Reid, who's an absolute spud. No, it wasn't a mark. Umpire got that one spot on. I'd just like Speaking to point out. What was the... It's a, is there any scandalous... I believe we got done it on the free kicks again. Oh, well, you're harking back to a conversation a few weeks ago. I think I don't have to go back and have a look at this. Mouth but uh, <laughs> we got we got done by on the free kick counters <laughs> again. And minus three today. Fucking uh, outrageous. Well, I think they were all there. And... Uh, the umpires probably did us. You thought they were all there. Which ones particularly that you watched did you think were all there? Well, Sam Reid's non-mark was obviously a non-mark, so that was perfect umpiring. So you right. can't can't fault the blokes today, really. It's not a free kick. <laughs> no, it's not. But you know, glad it wasn't paid. Um, you're on, you're on something. Then I distracted you. No, I was just saying that you know, disrupted personnel late in the season isn't ideal. Uh, we've got four to play now. Three to play. Um, it'd be nice to get the structure of the side back. At seven to play. No, three to, three to play. Well, seven to play, including grand final. But um, regular season, you just want to get a consistency in the team makeup now. And I think you need guys like Josh Kelly and um, Jesse Cameron back. And, and it would be, be ideal if we could get uh, Stephen Cornelio back, but I don't think he's coming back. I think DeBoer should be I back. I think he'll be coming back next year either, uh, Roland. Well, Stephen's just about to sign is uh, my inside info. That'll be that'll be locked down before the end of the regular season. Sign for who? Carlton or Giants? Obviously the Squinny Boys, mate. Um, and interest, there was an interesting point on the thread that someone had picked up, I think, from one of the commentators, that the Giants today had five players in the team with less than five games' experience. Uh, so, somewhere. The Rev. The Rev. <laughs> yeah, the pastor. Um, Hill, Connor Eden, Aidan Bonner. Steenstein? Steenstein Staines? Steenstein Staines. 
and I don't know who is a unit. Um, which is, that's pretty encouraging to get that done. Absolutely. Hill, crowd favourite, kicked a great goal, looked like he had some sort of acceleration as far as I can tell. I lost a race against my seven-year-old son up a hill today, so I'm not sure whether or not acceleration's all it's cracked up to be. You've got a nine-year-old <laughs> too. Age, but, um, <laughs> quick sum though. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was sharp the way that we set it, it takes up. Takes after his uncle. What do we, what do we take away? Hawthorne, Hawthorne had a bad loss uh, against... North Melbourne. North Melbourne, and we play Hawthorne at the Beanstalk. In fact, that'll be another live podcast. The Squinners will be podcasting live from the Beanstalk. We're also going to be chatting up Andrew Barr. Do we go? We should be Hawthorne did us at the MCG. Andrew Barr. Yeah, oh, Squinners Barr up with Andrew Barr. Don't know. No one will get that apart from some Squinners. It's a long. Um, <laughs> is George, there? Bars up. That's no joke. Hawthorne. Please. A good bloke. Hawthorne dispatches fairly comfortably. Comfortably. My God. Comfortably at the MCG. We should be right at the Beanstalk. What do you think? I think Hawthorne along with, you know, in that awkward barrel, the uh, the, the basket of deplorables, which, you know, when they turn <laughs> basket up... Basket of deplorables is a good terminology. They turn up with it. I think, you know, I think it, it all depends which kind of Hawthorne turns up with it. You can't ever discount a team that has won for premierships in recent history and has the same coach and the same system and set up but I think they're aging I don't think they've got the spearhead they do I think it's a question of whether they bring Ruffy back for a uh, for a testimonial game surely uh, you can discount any just, uh, side that just got belted by North Melbourne you'd hope yeah absolutely <laughs> I think I think, I think in, in a general season you would but I think they're in that they're, they're firmly in that category of teams that you just don't know which yep. team is going to turn up what? if they turn up they could well and truly yeah but this is the thing if we turn up like what we saw against Collingwood, which you know is still one of the watersheds of our season. Agreed. If we turn up, we are premiership material this year, and you know it's a little bit frustrating. I imagine some of our listeners out there, hello listeners, um, they'd be frustrated as we all are about seeing the Giants not put their best foot forward in some of these uh, matches. You were looking at some stats though, Mal. Did you pick up something that was useful apart from the free kick count? <laughs> Yes, I did. Thank you, Needles. Um, again, a worrying trend of letting games slip late. So 20 points oh, yeah. up midway through the third term, 20, 21 points up against a side that's not going to make the eight. Um, a worrying trend for them to be right under the pump late in the game. And, you know, leave the door open and it gets, and it gets shoved open. Well, particularly for finals football, you've got to play till the end of the... You know, end of every term and not let anyone in with a sniff because, you know, when you're not coming back next week, that desperation might pay off and might count against us. So, I mean, and all, Essendon and the Swans, if you cannot maintain your intensity at the end of those games, you know, when you're fighting with these sides, you know, to maintain your position in the eight or even, you know, push for a top four berth, that's a, a worrying trend. It's... Obviously, the impartial observer who's been somewhat involved uh, in the squinters uh, in the JWS team, thanks to the involvement of uh, of needles and enthusiasm for the team itself. It's, I think, there's been, there's never been a question that the Giants have the cattle to go deep, if not win the premiership. They haven't. They've not really gone within a sniff. Is it? Is it an upstairs thing? Is it a mental thing? Is this? Is this just ongoing uh, demonstration of the, of, the, of the frailty in that regard? 
did we actually cover off on this needs uh, in one of the earlier podcasts when there was that article written, can, um, I think it was the byline for the article in the age, realfooty.com.au, was um, can a side win a premiership without a real supporter base? Which I think was uh, one of the spurs perhaps for us to be doing this or it came around the right time for us to continue yeah. making this podcast. There are real Hi Hort. Well, there are real Skinner's, Skinner's fans out there. We you know, live, and, live and die by this stuff every week. And that was a bit insulting from the Melbourne media who are junk. Um, <laughs> and I can't wait to take the bloody Premiership Cup to the, back to the Beanstalk where they can't see it for a year. Fuckers. <laughs> Maybe the players don't feel that sufficiently. You know, no one grows up like Gary Ablett Jr. playing for Geelong. It was... Yeah, written wasn't it Nathan Ablett because their father was a hero of Geelong and that not, does create a not, culture they're not dying for the jersey perhaps not but how else Bobby Hill did Bobby Hill grew up he was the only Giants Giants jersey wearing guy in, um, in WA the town he grew up in well if you don't start something like that you never can build something like yep. that so there's no good harking back to history if you're not prepared to go and try and create history as well which I think we've heard in the squinters backstories you know, why all of us converted at some stage to be Squinter supporters after maybe having prior teams or being at least footy players and footy fans. Like, we want these boys to win and we want these boys to know that they're, they're giants and they are playing for 30,000 loyal fans. And that stat was most telling when um, our mate Bubs gave it to us that, you know, you can't see this. There's a lot of people who criticise the Giants for being, you know, this, this corporate entity started by the AFL. We've got 30,000 people prepared to put their money you know, behind their support for the Giants, which is far more successful than a lot of other franchises have been trying to buy their way into different markets. There is a loyal fan base out there, and, you know, I I believe the boys know that, and I reckon, you know, we can push on and win the flag. But I think we can get over him. Dig what do we got to do? Dig deep. Dig deep. Dig Tackle. Deep. Hold, hold, hold the line. Hold the line. And what else? And, uh, Eat bubblegum ice cream. So having been a loyal... Lions or Bears supporter from uh, I would say what 1980 let's say 9 89 88 since the days of the purple and yellow tracksuit since the days of Roger Merritt uh, running around with Kappa getting beaten by 230 points by Geelong at Carrara uh, in the good old days Warwick Kappa how could you not get behind that oh the shorts (laughs) so I mean they were an absolute basket case of team for quite a long time let's face it probably 15 years and they had this halcyon days of 2002 2003-2004 when it was probably let's face it almost a generation of time from their from in, their inception into the uh, into the league until they kind of started having that you know the, the flow through and, and, and did become that powerhouse in the early 2000s do you think it's going to take a generation do you think that's what it needs do you think you need to have kids who have grown up I'd, I'd know, address, I'd address this or? by just simply asking I mean why is Brisbane still 30 years behind Sydney <laughs> in general and I think the football culture <laughs> is exemplary of that. Yeah. So Mal's is just abusing people. <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, the, the funny thing I have having... We Squinters, don't have any Squinners fans in Brisbane. The beautiful thing of having spent a year in, uh, no, in, in Brisbane. Know. We've got one in Spain. The best, uh, the best joke is that you, you go up to Brisbane, you set your clock back an hour and your calendar back 50 years. Yeah. And I think that's, that's certainly yeah. But May 8th, 2019. Anyone? Anyone? 2019? Yeah. Oh, wow, no. Not touching that. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I think... Oh, oh, oh. Fuck, mate. <laughs> Have a look at yourselves, Queensland. The potato. 
Uh, I don't know. It's, it'll be an interesting thing to see if there is that heart because certainly, as we say, you know, the cattle that's been there, they've been there for quite a while. You know, is it? Yeah, is there no one there who's really had that winning culture that you can kind of build build around? Hard to say. But uh, I think this will be a very much the litmus test. You know, the question is, if you start losing a few good players, obviously you've lost a few in the last few years. You know, if 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 others don't, we'll just we'll just listen to the helicopter from the Barts and. London General Hospital take off. They're going somewhere quickly. I mean, everyone talks about premiership windows in any sport, certainly in the AFL. I think it's, it's, it's remarkably apparent. You know, the, the, the ebbs and flows. I think we've seen kind of Hawthorne go through and come out. Geelong has been, you know, to their credit, continuing on and, and may, may go through it. But I think the thing is, do you think there is a window for the for GWS. You think it's a, a, a premiership in the next few years is necessary to keep the talent flowing in and keep the talent there, or, or do you think that's it's still a bit more of an open-ended question? There's two elements to that that I would like to address, and one concerns the GWS premiership window, and one concerns the Geelong window as well. Um, Geelong are a game clear on top of the table. In my understanding, yep. and um, but no one really sees them as an outstanding premiership side this year, which I think is fascinating. And the other thing is the the GWS window. I had my doubts uh, over the last two years when they've lost you know tight preliminary finals, particularly the one when we lost to the Western Bulldogs. I think that was two years ago. 2016. 2016. Yeah. But that is but two. That is two years ago, isn't it? 17, 18. No, so it's three years ago, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's three years ago. It from is. Now, you're right. You're right. Take. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And I thought that, I thought that was a crushing loss for us. And I don't think we responded uh, maybe as vociferously in the following years that I thought we would. But our premiership window is still open. So that is a that is a great credit to the list we've currently got. And you know, given the window still open, the Blues should stick their foot in it and blast through it this yeah. year. Actually, well, here's just a thing: a quick ladder update on doing some maths. Uh, not your strong suit. No, well, no, if not. if West Coast beat Carlton and Brisbane beat... West Coast have to beat Carlton at the MCG, and Carlton are playing... Red, hot. Red, red hot, hot at the moment. Red hot blues. They've left their own a little too late. And the Lions beat the <laughs> Gold Coast at the Gabba. The top three teams will be on 56 points. The Cats, Eagles and Lions will be all on 56, but the Cats will be on on, on top by gin of a great percentage. But that is interesting. That's uh, that really that's a cat amongst the pigeon effort. Um... The cats, the cats amongst the eagles, yeah. <laughs> as it were. Yeah. No, I just, I, I just think that um, Geelong aren't runaway leaders, and anyone in that top six, really, even seven, I can't see the Crows winning. The uh, likewise. I can't see the Crows winning the premiership. I'm surprised that they're above Port on the ladder, but anyone from the Cats down to uh, the Bombers, as it stands, and the Bombers had a bad loss uh, this week. Yes. But. They got over the top of us in that late kick we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, they're good enough to beat us. I think we're good enough to win the flag. We're good enough to beat Richmond or good enough to spank Collingwood. It's wide open. And uh, someone's really got to grab it by the proverbials. Yeah, whether, we're, whether we're confident enough to win at the MCG, to beat Richmond at the MCG is interesting. My, my feeling was that 2016, that sort of the last nine games of 2016, that, that they were all unbelievable talent and it had all clicked. And then they were... Yep really Absolutely. really firing had they won 
that year because they would have beaten Sydney in the finals. They'd beaten Sydney by 50 points in the first round of the finals. Would have beaten Sydney in the GF. Uh, they, Giants are in the grand final and looking like winning the next two or three. Like that was a start because they just would have... But because it didn't, it rocked them a bit and they found, found that they've had to fight. And there's a, you listen to a bit of chat now, There's pe- people would have been disgruntled if they'd won in 2016. Mm. Uh, people are not fan, but there's yeah, a, yeah. sort of an acceptance that they've kept trying, they've kept knuckling in and they've done their hard yards and now they've sort of they've earned their opportunity per se as opposed to being handed it to them yeah exactly they've paid their dues I I suppose the other question is that quite apart from the fairy tale that was 2016 and the Bulldogs winning as well which kind of made it better with the Cubs yeah exactly yeah I suppose the the interesting question is that you look at the the good you know the the two probably best teams last 10 years you know, on a on a global scale, Geelong and Hawthorne, obviously. Destination club. The term destination club. You know, who did Geelong? Well, Hawthorne got in this year. Wang, not Wangadine. Wingard. Yep. Chad Wingard. Yep. They've had Jager O'Meara come in. They've had a lot of you know, big ins. Tom Mitchell. You know, the uh, absolute leather poisoning uh, candidate of the year. You know, yeah. Geelong. Heavy into Canelio as well. Geelong's had Lukey Dalhouse come yeah. back. Dangerfield. Dangerfield. They've had Gary Rowan. Gary Ablett. You know, is there any? Do GWS need to win a few flags to become a destination club, or are they are they going to have to you know rely on the fact that they've got that kind of you know base of talent that people want to come and see? Well, we discussed this last week that the it's harder for the clubs north of the Murray to keep and attract players because the return home thing is for Waffle and Sandfall, Mm. and whereas the big clubs in Melbourne have all these opportunities, and Mal had a really interesting point about the fact that. Uh, yeah, there should be some sort of retention fees, not a, a cola, because cost of living allowance is... It's a dirty word, it's according a, to uh, Pridham. <laughs> it's a dirty word, but a retention fee, because to cover the opportunities that they would get media-wise or sponsorship-wise in Melbourne that they don't get in Sydney or but Brisbane. I mean, that's just cola by another... another Absolutely. Word, yeah, 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 but many things are. way of doing it. Yeah, tax is not a tax, uh, but, a tax. But, you know, some, sometimes you've got to sell things in the right way, you've got to package it up, mate. That's why there are advertising agencies and why brands have value. No, of course, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, do you think, could you see if GWS gets, you know, a good long-term prospect that you end up building a nursery like the Sydney Swans Academy has been done and, and is a good long-term, uh, you know, outcomes from GWS going to actually develop the, the, the Western Sydney market and have people wanting, you know, to become, GWS uh, be a destination club by, by that kind of way? I have is no, I have no specific investment? answers, but all I can say is that the fact we're not... The Gold Coast Suns fills me with a lot of confidence that the boys uh, and the powers that be within the hierarchy of the GWS leadership is going about it the right way. I think there's a genuine club culture there. I think there are young players come and want to play. Sam Smith. Yeah, we're not struggling to sign everyone. So we're not Tim Taranto another two years. Actually, that would have been a good issues of the week. Well done. Congratulations, Tim. You're a fucking legend and my pick for the Kevin Sheedy medal this year. And get your folks to get in touch with Nick, Coco. Coco, exactly <laughs> in, right. In, uh, in Dallas there. Tim Tarando's half Texan. Exactly. Did you? No, so, but I don't... I don't All the Squinders listeners. We are not um, losing uh, more players than, than we should be. Like, all clubs lose players they want to keep. You know, when trade periods come up these days, it's a fact of the game. Somewhat unfortunately, I think. I'm a bit of a romantic when it comes to the idea of being a one-club player and that sort of thing. But I think the... The Giants seem to be re-signing guys on long-term contracts uh, well enough that there is a genuine club culture there that 
guys want to stick around for and we are obviously quite obviously improving players we might be getting we might have benefited from getting some of the top cattle early days but they are now entrenched in the top eight and have been for the last you know four or five seasons uh, we clearly have the capacity to develop players. Well, look from at Zach Williams. He's played on the halfback flank. Always wanted to go in the middle, and it's been terrorising in the past two games. Apparently, he was outstanding today, early this morning. Yeah. So there is absolutely Yesterday. nothing. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the uh, the GWS program. In fact, there's a lot of things right with it. And you know, I think the club's going to go from strength to strength. Can't say the same about the Suns, unfortunately. And won't. Is, do you think that's because Gold Coast is just a place where professional sport teams go to die? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Gold Coast is a place where dreams go to die. <laughs> uh, well, I think that probably sums it up. And then almost would be starting for the last quarter is play on at all, um, play on at all co costs. Talk about anything you like. We've been talking about a few things that haven't been anything to do with the game, which, to be fair, is one not one that I could have watched with a two-point win. I would have turned that off way before and... Another quick question for uh, for for Mad uh, Mad Uncle Mal. In terms of we're sitting here at the Good Samaritan, I've just wanted in to get another refreshment. And looked up, there's there are there's a English domestic 2020 game going on. <laughs> James Faulkner oh, is Jimmy playing. Faulkner. I think for Lancashire or Nottingham, one of the two. I think how how far and fast did Jimmy Faulkner from grace? Oh, of the, um, he could have, he could have been the difference. I mean, you know, he couldn't have been any worse than uh, Glenn Maxwell in the last World Cup, could he? Oh, Mum, what old oh, mate? What Stoinis? Stoinis, <laughs> Stoinis joke. But I know what did call Although he did save us in that first match, yeah, he really did. I noticed that. Uh, so James Foot was taking up the bowling from the James Anderson end. Oh, Jimmy is, Anderson end. Is it too early for a, for a still playing player to have a an end of an oval named after him? Is that is that too much? Is, or is it going down the English way of knighting? You know, knighting your ashes, uh, your ashes <laughs> with his very early. Was seventeen runs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, it really pains me to say this because I used to um, really hate Jimmy Anderson, but I started listening to some of the podcasts he does. Yeah, and he, and he has a lovely speaking voice, Jimmy he's, Anderson. He's he fabulous. actually seems like a nice bloke. So um, The most understated, talented cat in the history. And, and what sealed it for me is that Glenn McGrath was uh, um, effusive in his praise of Jimmy Anderson when he went past him. It's probably the first time that Glenn yeah, McGrath's been effusive in his I mean, entire what, life. What apart the hell has happened to Glenn McGrath? Apart from big shoot. Exactly right. But that's a different question for a different time. But the fact that Glenn McGrath said, it's all right that Jimmy Anderson's gone past me and congratulations to Jimmy and the fast, fast bowler's got to stick together. I was like, well, if it's all right by Glenn, who am oh, I to complain? Absolutely. I could never heat it up to 130. <laughs> <laughs> that's kilometres. I think that's a very good point. I think you know, obviously he's, a, he's a one of the highest wicket takers. I, think, I just highest, don't know. Highest, highest, fast bowler. I just don't know if if, if naming a stand after an end after a current player is is good, especially when we've got so many you know great English players. I, kind of I come the Phil Tufnell end, the heard, Devin Malcolm end. I heard him commentating the on, a, on a World Cup, the Gladstone game, Small end, the Monty Panesar end. I heard him commentating on a game in the World Cup where he had to call a bowler in. <laughs> from the end named after him oh. the James Anderson stand end by James and to give him his credit he said that really doesn't sit well with me so Jimmy Anderson be a good bloke give him some lessons still, still did it but yeah. still did it any more for any more before yeah, we get well, final well, wrap up I've obviously been a, an avid listener a for the big, last big fan of the show for the last 72 hours that I realised it was in existence um, and I've noticed that you know generally a new person gets introduced as a bit of a chat <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. when did you get into GWS 
Who's yeah. your favourite player? All these kind of things. And so based upon that, I did. He, he I wants did, one. He wants an intro. I did, I did work out some material. So what I'll, do, I'll put this in at the start. Um, and we've got Doc, who's he's here as Brisbane Lions' as super fanboy cast leader uh, in London. Doc, what's your, what's your Brisbane Lions origin story? Um, it's a very good question. To, it's a very good question, Needles, and I'm glad you asked. It goes a long way back. Back to the days of, of Carrara. <laughs> Carrara on the Gold Coast. Carrara Stadium on the Gold Coast, Roger Look, I got a brown and yellow tracksuit uh, from my grandma when I was uh, four or five years old. Uh, I strapped it on, as any diligent young boy does, and uh, and, and uh, my older brother, uh, an absolute jet gun AFL player, fantastic guy. I've met him, not that good a bloke. Horrific <laughs> pancreas, one of the worst pancreases going around. He's not even functional. <laughs> Why was he born with it? He said, he said, that looks like, he could have said, this is the halcyon days of the Hawthorne Football Club. He could have said, that's a Hawthorne joke. <laughs> and I would, have, I would have bathed in 10 years worth of glory back then as they put the caps to the sword in the 89 grand final. Uh, but instead he I said... God can carry the Premiership Cup across the And then one that's the Br- West Coast in 91 too. And they're not exactly right. That's the and Brisbane and Bears. And they've had a few good years recently. <laughs> And one needs one, uh, you know, an esoteric reason to go for a football team back in those days. So that was uh, that was how we got into them. Um, and then obviously, you know, in my early uh, early twenties, late teens, uh, the Halcyon days, uh, Voss Black, oh, yeah. what a side. Jonathan Brown, what a side. Daryl, Mal Michael, Mal Michael, <laughs> oh, the great Daryl White, Nigel oh. Lappin, <laughs> oh delish, Sean Hart. Akamanis. Pikey's the man who doesn't get enough. Akamanis. Clark Keating. Clark Keating. Fabulous. Gilbert McAdam. Ooh. Tim McGrath. The Scott brothers. Ashcroft. 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 Scott brothers. Basically everyone who played in that side is an absolute legend of the game. I mean, you can't win three premierships in a row without Daniel Bradshaw. Sean Hart has a Norm Smith, doesn't he? Alistair Lynch. Absolutely. Alistair Lynch. Um... And so, yeah, that was good times, and they obviously ran the Doldrums for a few years, but it looks like the boys are coming back. What's Excellent. behind the resurgence in the Brisbane Lions this year? Is it all just Luke Hodge? Who knows? I mean, obviously... Along, along, along with, with, along with McCluggage. <laughs> <laughs> and what a name, <laughs> listeners. What a yes. name. McCluggage. <laughs> what about was your favourite position to play? Because, I mean... I'm not sure that you ever played. And actually, one of, one of the Squinters' favourite sons was left out of the Wollongong Uni game side in favour of you because you might have some familial connections to uh, some of the some of the influence makers. Um, so poor old Growler, sorry about that, mate. You were a much better footballer. But when you did pull on the boots, where did you like to play, Doc? I mean, it all depends what kind of time, what stage of the career one goes. Started off in the centre in the workhorse. No, uh, I absolutely did, 110%. Back when I was a, you know, a lithe, uh, well, you kind of hard Simon Black, uh, type player. Then before, you know, putting on an amazing growth spurt and and, uh, and heading into the kind of ruck, uh, centre half forty, full forty type thing. Bereft of a kick. I uh, was not much, not, not not much use outside the arc. Well, that runs in the family. Absolutely. Um, look, I think you know the ruck was always a fun to play, you know, because you're always uh, always involved. Um, although in the lower grades in the ruck, you tend to be against just the, the big fat guy in the opposition who didn't mind hurting people. You know, the six foot one hundred and ten guy who who didn't have much mobility. That wasn't much chop when you were kind of eighty kilos and ringing wet. So. 
look, it was it was I would say the best position to play back when you had the skills was probably on the wing or, or or in the centre. Could take a leap. Oh yeah. Yeah, fuck, I could jump. Yeah, I, I, I had some mad hops back in the day. Yeah. It was the heart that was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> was. Well. Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay, <laughs> best wishes to Adam Kennedy. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Fanny played it. He, w- he went well in the knee um, I think that could just about wrap it up. It's got oh, a little no, bit no, freestyle. No, 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 you're asking who my favourite GWS player is. <laughs> Ask me who my favourite GWS who's your player is. GW, who's your favourite GWS player? That's a good question, uh, Needles. I'm glad you asked. Look, <laughs> I've had some deep introspection and thought about this. Um... I think my favourite, my favourite, uh, my favourite GWS player is probably Jared Brennan. I think when he was running <laughs> off the, the back of Metricon Stadium. Oh, it was, he was a son. Sorry, one soulless manufactured team kind of runs into another team these days, mate. It's a very good point. Uh, I was, I was going down between Toby. He's not coming back, listeners. Between Toby Green, because let's face it, kicking people in the face uh-huh. is fantastic. Right, if you win the ball, you win it's the ball. Fantastic, absolutely. Or. Uh, or, or uh, uh, Shane Mumford for his off-the-field work, which is um, the swordfish, closely known to the heart. But I think I'd have to probably settle on. It was it was a, it was a toss-up between the hard-running and Steve Caniglio, but uh, Caniglio. I think we have to go for Izzy. Oh, yuck, yuck! I think it's. I think a spearhead is thoroughly missing from the, the line. Thoughts not, not with Israel <laughs> Folau. A, a beautiful, a beautiful cabin, a beautiful Jeremy thing to Jeremy Cameron would have been. A big Izzy dragging down the marks in the 50. And so I think Israel Folau, for his, for his service to the game, would be the man that I would have to say would be the best GWS player. Okay. Edit, you're going to need to edit. Some. Digressive. Uh, I'm going to wrap that up. Thanks very much, everyone. Um, we will be, like I said before, we're going to be live at the Beanstalk with a few squinners. I think Bubs might be there. Possibly Bartman might be there. We'll certainly be chatting up Andrew Barr for another live episode. If you missed the, the squinners chat up with Chris Bowen, that's dropped on Thursday. He tweeted it out for us, which is very kind of him. Good bloke, Sebo. Um, if you want to... Oh, actually, I'm just going to say, we have got, a, we got some fan mail. We got some other fan mail on the weekend, uh, during the week. Uh, didn't raise a question, but he uh, got through at us on neversurrenderpod at gmail.com, which is where you can speculate with us or against us or for us or at us. And we will answer your questions with pith and precision. So this is from Philip. Hey, guys, love the podcast. Keep it up. Look forward to listening each week. There we go. Philip, you're sure. a superstar. Yeah, That's everything we want to squeeze He's out. my favourite human um, being. And I also did cut and save this from Titus, uh, Titus O'Reilly. No, yeah, Titus O'Reilly. Titus O'Reilly. Uh, and it was a quote from his review of the last week's football. At one stage, Jordan Dawson produced a beautiful bit of play, faking out three defenders before slotting a goal. It appeared to hit the post, so it was reviewed, and the crack squad of, of the AFL score review officers examined it closely, saw it hit the post, and therefore awarded it a goal. It really is a horrendous system, bad cameras, awful angles, and people who appear to bring a variety of eye problems to the task. It may be the most AFL thing ever. So, well done, Titus. That was a good right. Um, we'll see you next week. Mal Michael. Never surrender. Doc. Never surrender. Never surrender. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers all around, boys. Very good fun.
When he's feeling the braille on the on the cricket ball, uh, when he's reading the scene, whether he can actually get uh, can read anything off it, or or if that's just. Uh, We'll just pause for a while while our mates. Okay, we're back. Our English friends have gone into the pub. Oh, it would be great if they just got it. Do not get in front of the